Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win and USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek, is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Plus. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. Hello, friends. Week four. Most of it's in the book. Two games tonight, I guess. Thanks to COVID hitting the NFL relatively hard. Uh, I'm Chris Corman, editor of For the Win, joined by Stephen Ruiz, our lead NFL writer. Stephen, what's happening, dude? Not much. Josh Allen continues to be the best player in the NFL and just continues to ruin my life. <laughs> I mean, we all have to go through adversity, right? Like, you know, players talk like players are just endlessly talking about like, uh, people doubted me and I had to show resilience and like overcame adversity. Like this is your adversity as an analyst. You're just totally wrong about this player. And now you have to try to overcome. Yeah. I don't know whether to like continue to fight it or just accept it. One thing I've, I've thought about doing is just pretending like I've been high on Josh Allen this whole time. <laughs> and I think you know I might you, go with that. You know that your old tweets are out there, right? And that all the uh, yeah. stories on our, on our website are, are archived. Like they're not, well, they don't go I anywhere. Have, I have, the power to delete my tweets and I have, <laughs> I have access to WordPress so I could delete the posts. Yeah, um, even better yet, I can go in and change them. I'm <laughs> blocking you out of WordPress right now. Uh, we are going to break that down in a little bit. We will talk about Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills who moved to 4-0 uh, with the win. We will break down every game from the weekend, actually. And give you some insight, especially on the Browns-Cowboys fiasco of a game and the Cowboys defense, which is just horrifically bad. Uh, but we'll take a look at pretty much everything going on. The Bills beating the Raiders. We're going to talk a little bit about the Colts defense, which by a bunch of metrics is one of the better in the league, but it's probably because of the strength of competition or lack of strength, I guess, so far this season. We'll talk a little bit about Drew Brees, whether he's back. Talk Tom Brady. Uh, Bucks won again today and look like the best team in that division. And Steven has some interesting thoughts about the Bucks' offense. Uh, so we'll, we'll dig in on all of that to come. But first, let's break down this uh, COVID-19 situation because this all has 
sort of swelled up since our last episode. Our last episode, we went very deep on what we thought was the best game of the weekend, uh, would be the best game of Sunday, the Patriots-Chiefs game that was supposed to be uh, one of the later games today. And that has been moved because Cam Newton, the quarterback for the New England Patriots, tested positive for COVID-19. So the NFL scrambled, and the game is now scheduled to be the early Monday night game tonight. I think 7.05 kickoff is what I last saw. Um, This is a pretty convoluted situation, uh, to say the least. The Patriots are flying to uh, Kansas City, I guess that any anyone who was, you know, the NFL has these trackers to to see which players have been near each other, players and coaches. So 20 of them showed up as being have having been near Cam Newton. Now, these players are getting players and coaches are getting tested every day and no other Patriot has tested positive yet. Uh, but there were 20 that were identified that it's being near Cam Newton and they are flying separately. So. Uh, you know, this game is still still feels very much up in the air. Players will be tested again tomorrow morning with the rapid testing. Uh, so we'll see how this goes. Um, but this, you know, this follows obviously Tennessee and Baltimore were supposed to play in another highly anticipated game between three and O teams. And that game was already uh, postponed and the NFL announced that it is moved to week seven, which means that the Baltimore Pittsburgh game is moved to week eight. Um, and Baltimore will have to move its bye week a week earlier. Uh, they they thought they'd be off the eighth now off the seventh. So this is, you know, this is where we are with the, the COVID situation. The first real impact uh, on the league. Stephen, how are you feeling about all of this right now as we move forward? It was kind of jarring. Obviously, the Cam Newton news was, and mm-hmm. he's the first quarterback to miss a game because we had been going like running along so smoothly over those first three weeks, and the Titans news broke, and then the Cam Newton news happened not too long after it. But I... <sighs> I am confident that the season is going to play out. We're going to get to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of concerning that they're playing this game on Monday night, I think. I think it shows, it exposes where the league's priorities are. I really think this shows that their priority is getting games played rather than keeping players safe. Like, why? I don't think it makes any sense to play this game on a Monday. What was it, three days after the Newton news broke? I think it was on Friday. Right. And we were getting new positives from the Titans like days after that, that first positive, the first positive they got. So we can't even be sure that even if all these players test negative tomorrow or on Monday, we don't know. They could, right. they could fail the test the next day. So right. I am very concerned about where the, the league's priorities are and I I think this is going to make it hard for them to finish the year if there is another one of these outbreaks and they they don't play their cards right and they take a risk and ha- play a game two days later just because they're trying to fit all these games in and it just leads to further spread. I I thought that they should have canceled the game this week and just try to play it at another time. And I also think the league really made a mistake by not setting a setting aside time to play games. And just assuming that some were going to get canceled. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is a a shockingly cavalier attitude toward 
player and, and coach safety and just everyone else who will now be, you know, these 20 people that they have identified, they have said, oh, yeah, they, they were near Cam Newton. Like in places like New Zealand, where the coronavirus was squashed and, uh, to, you know, and basically it flares up every now and then, but they take care of it again. When when that happens, when someone tests positive and they identify people who are near that person, those people then quarantine for two weeks. Like That is the key. That is how the spread is stopped. Uh, so for the, the NFL to just flaunt that, uh, to just not even go that way and and you know it may work out it, like the it, it, this game may be played tonight and everybody may end up being negative but that doesn't uh that doesn't counter the fact that what mm-hmm. we know about this virus is that the way it spreads uh it's it's tricky to catch and the best thing to do is to quarantine people who may have been um impacted and, and maybe it's not you know with the more rapid testing now and uh where we're at maybe it doesn't need to be 14 days but it's not as quick a turnaround as what we're seeing now uh and as you were saying you know the lack of schedule flexibility being built in really hurts the chiefs now end up playing you know i think they end up playing a monday night game uh, and then they play Sunday and then they play Thursday. Uh, so, you know, that is that's a brutal turnaround when you're talking about a foot, uh, a game as rough as football. Um, so yeah. also what happens if they start getting positives this next right. week, then they have all those games in the next couple days or the next. What is it like 10 days after that? That's going to really throw the schedule into turmoil. So that's why I think it's not worth the risk of trying to squeeze this game in. Right. And actually, really it's, it yeah, is. we should also note, note that the uh, Chiefs practice squad QB, so the guy who was pretending to be Cam Newton all week, also tested positive for COVID-19, uh, Jordan Tamu. Uh, so, you know, the Chiefs have some exposures, too. So, I, yeah, this, uh, you know, I, it's... The situation right now is precarious at best. So, we will see as the day moves forward whether or not this game can be played, uh, you know, certainly from a competition standpoint, we all hope it is because it's it's a, just a terrific matchup. The the Reed versus Belichick, your your two favorite coaches, two guys that you have dug into a lot. Uh, you know, the the greatest defensive mind ever and one of the greatest offensive minds of all time. So we'd love to see that. And we talked about it in our last podcast. We broke down uh, that. You know, that matchup and Steven did publish a story on it. So looking forward to that if it can happen. But right now, the way that it's being approached by the league, uh, there's certainly some some questions to be asked about that. Uh, But let's let's look at uh, the Sunday night game real quick before we dig in on a bunch of other games, because it, it was a fairly exciting game, but not one that you, I think, are personally taking much from. The Philadelphia Eagles move in. They roared into a commanding lead in the NFC East, the uh, the most beastly division in the, the NFL. Uh, Eagles are now one, two, and one, and they are in fact in first place. Uh, but they beat the San Francisco 49ers twenty five to twenty. Um, Nick Mullins, the quarterback who replaced Jimmy G, was not good and was eventually benched and CJ Beathard came in and was trying to lead a comeback, uh, but eventually fell short. 
at the end. Uh, wh- what do you make of this game, Stephen? I know you. We, we talked a little briefly ab- about it that you're not learning a whole lot. Carson Wentz was better, but still not Carson Wentz. But he right. still he is he's literally throwing to a wide receiver that we I saw we still don't know who he is. And Travis Fulgham. Uh, you know, they, the Eagles at one point this week had one wide receiver on the 53 man roster in practice. And this game sure looked like it, but Carson Wentz was at least able to sort of push his way through that, which certainly was not the case the first couple weeks of this season. Yeah. It reminded me of the Eagles at the end of last year where Wentz doesn't really look good, but he does just enough with a terrible supporting cast to win games. He obviously had a lot of help from Nick Mullins, who was just awful. And if you get benched for C.J. Beathard, you know you're doing bad. <laughs> C.J. Beathard is one of the worst starting quarterbacks we've seen in the last couple of years. And I mean, the Eagles almost lost this game, so I don't think you could even like be positive about it, because this is a game they probably shouldn't... It probably shouldn't have been close because of how depleted the 49ers are, are they were playing their third string quarterback by the end there it was Debo Samuel's first game they're missing like a bunch of dudes from their defensive line Richard Sherman's out obviously the Eagles have injury concerns of their own but that's like a thing with the Eagles it has been for like three <laughs> years now so the, yeah, I don't think you can really use it use it as an excuse uh, but yeah I'm not I'm not taking a lot from either team this game certainly not the 49ers i think they'll be better going forward but it still looks pretty bad for the eagles carson wentz did not look great he looked better but he didn't look great and the offense was very it was like they were just churning things out it was very it looked like a a hard game for that offense they scored uh, what did they score 25 points yeah so a decent output i think that might have been their season high so far. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> so, but it didn't look good. So I don't, I, I don't see how this, I don't think this leads to some great turnaround for that offense. It's still a very bad offense. You know, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here just purely because that's my role on the show. But you know, the Eagles also had some injuries. Lane Johnson missed most of the game. Uh, Fletcher Cox was in and out. I mean, you know, injuries happen in football, Steven. I don't, I don't think you can excuse San Francisco just because they had some injuries. Just because they're missing their whole team right now. I know the Eagles are too, but the Eagles have their quarterback at least. I think you're just afraid of the NFC East. <laughs> my takeaway. Uh, I have one game back in the NFC East. Me. If I was a football team, I'd only be one game back. When, when you see unparalleled parity, when you see that all the teams are with a game of each other, uh, it's just too much for your brain to comprehend that it could be that close that these teams could all be fighting and clawing for that one division title spot. Uh, you know, and I get that. I get it, man. Uh, so in that vein, why don't we talk about the Cowboys? Why don't we <laughs> jump to that game first uh, as we reflect on uh, the rest of the games uh, we recorded this a little earlier with some thoughts on everything that happened on Sunday The Counter Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Stephen, I think there's only one place to start as we review the rest of the games this weekend, and that is with whatever is going on with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the game today was completely absurd. Cowboys end up losing 49-38 to to the Browns. Uh, the Cowboys nearly made a furious comeback, scoring 24 points in the fourth quarter. Dak Prescott was astoundingly good uh, as he has been for his career in the NFL. Um, and, and it looked like they were potentially going to make a comeback. And then the Browns handed the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. And he dashed off for his third touchdown of the day on a play that according to next gen stats, uh, he should have gained two yards and he had less than a 1% chance of scoring, but the Dallas defense is very bad. And it is very he, bad. And, and he is very good. Um, Here's you know, the crazy is, thing. It was a trick play, and, yeah. but it was the second time they had ran that exact play during the game. And it worked both times. Like they ran for first on both plays. So there's like no excuses for Mike Nolan's defense, not being ready for that same motion before the snap, same formation, same guys in the same place. Same exact run concept, and they got a touchdown off of it. So there's no, it's not even like they caught him off guard. Yeah. Uh, are you saying that they should have picked up on that? Are you saying that's the sort of thing that, that uh, smart coaches I mean, realize? Uh, so this Dallas Cowboys team now sits at one and three, which, uh, you know, they play in the NFC. So right in the thick of things, man, they are they are very much not out of it because of where they play. Uh, but where do we think this team is sort of in the grand scheme of everything of, of, you know, where we is certainly of where we thought they were going to be, you know, brought in a new head coach, Mike McCarthy, who, as you mentioned, hires Mike Nolan, a long time NFL coach. This dude was 15 years ago. He was a, you know, head coach and GM in San Francisco. His father was an NFL coach. I mean, uh, impeccable pedigree, but uh, I, you know, so far his defense, the numbers look pretty atrocious. Yeah, and it's not too surprising because they have a very young secondary and they've been banged mm. up in the secondary. But it's just terrible looking. Like the Seattle game was, I thought, the worst game. I know they gave up a bunch of points in this one and it's the mm. Browns, so you're expecting them maybe to have a little bounce back on defense. But there was coverage busts last week where they were just forgetting to cover Tyler Lockett. And we're still seeing that, like, they're giving up these trick plays. They're giving up chunk plays. They're, one thing is they're not very good against the run, and mm-hmm. they give up big passing plays. So you're right. not if you're like those two things, you can't survive in the NFL playing defense. Like you have to choose one or the other. If you're not committing numbers to the box to stop the run, then you have no excuse for giving up deep plays. But that's kind of what they've been doing. They've been playing two high safeties, but teams are still having no problems getting behind them for big plays, and. 
maybe at some point it regresses to the mean and like because they do have a very good success rate which means like down to down they're doing a decent job it's just that they can't stop giving up big plays right so maybe they figure it out maybe it's because they you know they haven't had a preseason they have young guys in the secondary this is Nolan's first year as the defensive coordinator and he didn't have a real offseason or preseason to install his defense so that's that's where you probably hope things turn around if you're a Cowboys fan but I mean at the end of the day for a defense it's really about talent and they don't have any talent and it's been like a decade since we've seen Mike Nolan coach a good defense so I am I am not ready to write off the Cowboys completely because Dak Prescott makes their their floor so high because he's so brilliant as a quarterback, but I'm not optimistic. The defense is going to turn around. Even if there is, there are like a couple signs that maybe they've had bad luck this year. Right. Yeah. The uh, Prescott price just keeps going up and (laughs) up and up. Uh, I don't know what Jerry Jones is doing. Uh, What did you think? There was a little bit of a kerfuffle that uh, Henry McKenna wrote it for our site, but Dallas fans were upset with Amari Cooper uh, Prescott threw an interception. The so this is after the uh, Odell Beckham touchdown. So it's the game's really pretty much out of reach. But they were hoping that uh, Dak would continue his miracle, and he threw a little slant to Amari Cooper, and it was picked off. I think Denzel Ward stepped in front, and uh, Cowboys fans immediately got all over Cooper for being soft for. Oh, you know, whatever. It, it seems like this narrative is 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 growing around Cooper. And I mean, this dude had 12 catches for 134 yards. He was targeted 16 times, which is more than twice than any other player. I mean, he's obviously a fantastic player. Uh, does, is this really something to worry about? Or do the Cowboys have so many other things going wrong? <laughs> I think I, I uh, there's two ways to answer that. I do think Amari Cooper tends there's times when he doesn't, you know, give his full effort. Like, that's a thing. You could find it on tape every week. And I do think the interception was completely on him. I don't think it has anything to do with him being soft necessarily. I think he just didn't think he was getting the ball. He was probably tired. They had ran a lot of plays in the second half in the fourth quarter. So I think it's more that. But, yeah, I'm not worried about Amari Cooper if I'm a Cowboys fan. That's He's like 30th on the list. First on the list is probably why haven't we signed our quarterback, our top five quarterback? And this is like the worst possible scenario for them is that they're losing games, but Dak Prescott's price, like you said, is just keeps going up and up. Right. And with uh, what we're assuming is going to be a constricted salary cap next year, uh, it's going to be hard to sign them. Yeah, no, no question. Uh, let's let's discuss the Browns a little bit. Three and one. Uh, Baker Mayfield. I, you know, I don't know. He was he was Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Nineteen for 165 yards, average of five point five uh, per completion. You know, I mean, like this is just a Baker Mayfield game, but it's it's working. Uh, Odell Beckham, like we said, was absolutely genius. He caught a touchdown pass from Jarvis Landry. That dude can wing it. Uh, Best throw of the game, by the way. Yeah, no question. No, no question. Um, ran the ball well. You know, they ran the ball well, ball well again, over 300 yards. Uh, this seems to be the formula that the Browns have settled on. Uh, any chance of this? I mean, the their division is loaded, so it's it sure doesn't feel like this is something that's going to get them where they need to be. But uh, what do you think about this team right now? Uh, I think they're fine. 
Like I picked them to go <laughs> to the playoffs before the season, and I'm right. uh, I'm happy with that prediction right now. Like as long as they don't have to make Baker Mayfield throw the ball, which he hasn't <laughs> been doing like the last three weeks, then they're going to be fine. The defense is is playing decently well. Right. I mean, they gave up a lot of points in the fourth quarter and the second half overall, but like Miles Garrett is living up to the defensive player of the year hype. They're giving they're getting contribution from Olivier Vernon. Sheldon Richardson's playing decently well. Uh I don't think they're gonna win a playoff game, but with seven teams making it, I think they can definitely make make the playoffs. Kevin Stefanski after that first week, it was kinda I mean, if I was a Browns fan after that first week, I would have been a little pessimistic, but he's done everything since then that we expected him to do before the year. Like he's installed this offense and it's working. The Browns are running the ball really efficiently and they've thrown a lot of uh, play action off of that and it's working. It's, you know, hiding what Baker Mayfield, his weaknesses as a quarterback, which is standing in the pocket and having to think and having to read the defense. He's not really having to do that. He's, he's just being able to drop back and either you know read one defender if he if he comes up you throw it over his head if he drops back you throw it underneath and that that formula i think is going to continue to work it might be hard against a team that could stop the run though right so what does this mean long term i mean for baker mayfield and the browns i mean is he the right guy or does this franchise need to be looking elsewhere it's always like I don't know. It's like a like the the front office had to like sigh and go. Oh, I guess we got to get one of these offenses where the quarterback doesn't have to think. Like it's like an acknowledgement that your quarterback isn't a guy that's capable of carrying an offense on his own. Right. And I wrote this I think two weeks ago that, and this was after I believe he broke out against the Bengals where. I said it was a good sign for the offense this year, but not necessarily a good sign for Baker Mayfield long term. Right. Right. Like, I think he obviously works in this offense. He can operate in this offense, which if he couldn't, it would have been a big red flag because we see mediocre talents across the league kind of, you know, shine in this offense. So I think it's going to work for this year. It's just, is this the guy that you think is going to, because you're going to have to sign him in two years. Right. You're going to have to exactly. give him a big contract. And if this is the offense he needs to play well and play efficiently, then I think that's a big issue. Like, Because once you pay him, what, $30 million a year, it's going to be harder to keep this team. Right. I mean, the Browns have two of the best wide receivers in the league, and two, Nick Chubb was out for most of today. He got injured. But Kareem Hunt, you know, I mean, he's, they have a ton of talent that he's surrounded by, and he still is barely making it work. So, right. Uh, let's jump to another 2018 QB. Uh, this one, my favorite one. Your yeah. Uh, well, you like Sam Darnold a lot too. <laughs> um, Josh Allen, who continues to be one of the breakout players of this season, despite a lot of analysis from you and others uh, heading into oh, the season. God. Showing sorry, that, sorry, Nick Nick Mullins just threw an interception to an Eagles linebacker. Which is oh like, oh, look at that! Look at the, the Eagles. The Eagles are about to beat the 49ers, aren't they? This yeah. is a thing that is actually happening. Um, first place, Philadelphia Eagles after the first. Well, yeah, <laughs> commanding lead, uh, one win and a tie. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Josh Allen, he, I mean, he's been really really good. 
you know, done everything that Bills fans uh, told, you know, said that he was going to do heading into the year. The angry, angry Bills fans yelling at you. He leads the Bills to a 30-23 win today over the Raiders. Um, 24 for 34, 288 yards, two TDs, avoided sacks. Um, Didn't really run the ball much. Uh, You know, so different game for him. Turns out that if you give a guy like uh, Josh Allen, who has a pretty big arm, wide receivers like Stephon Diggs and John Brown, it works. It, it works out. But are mm-hmm. you are you buying in on on the Bills fully yet? They're four and zero. You know, we knew the defense was going to be really good coming into the season. What are you actually thinking? It depends on what you mean by buying into them fully. Like as a contender to the Chiefs or even the Ravens, not so much. I think they are in that second tier, though. And, Mm -hmm. like, no matter what happens with Josh Allen going forward, I do think he's still due for some regression. Like, this, I don't think teams are going to have such a hard time covering that offense all year long, although it's very talented and Dayball's doing a great job. Like, eventually, defenses are going to catch on and force them to throw some tight window throws. And I think that's when you're going to see some of – Allen's accuracy issues kind of come to light, but it's clear that he's a useful player in the NFL and he's useful, very useful in this offense. And he's making the throws that he has to make right now. His, his accuracy is better than it was a year ago. He's not drew Brees where he's like placing the ball on like a back shoulder to avoid a, a defender and coverage, but he's getting the ball to the receiver. And as long as day balls scheming up open guys, then it's going to work. And I think really that's what it comes down to. If Dayball can keep this up for a full year, I think Allen will be able to keep it up for a full year. I don't think he's going to be the MVP and throw for 300 yards and four touchdowns every year or every week. But I think he's going to put up above average production. I don't know what that's going to mean for him long term because Dayball is eventually going to leave for a head coaching job and his play under pressure. He's like, I think his quarterback rating going into this week was like 140, which is not going to last. But at the very least, he's shown that he he's proven me wrong in that I think he's at least an average NFL quarterback, which I never thought he would be. And the, the evidence, all the evidence pointing to pointed to him being a below average quarterback for the rest of his career. Like even Bills fans, you can't take a victory lap because you did not know he was just going to all of a sudden become <laughs> I, I was just, an accurate I was just... quarterback. I was just about to say, like the level to which you are elevating your appraisal of uh, you know, the, and admitting, you know, that you are changing your priors, like you are really taking a lot of steps forward. And Bills fans would still light you on fire if they find <laughs> you. Like right. that, they, they, that is the gulf between you two, the two sides on this is astronomical. So even though you are very magnanimously coming coming forward to say that you were wrong and that you, that Josh Allen is better than you thought, uh, that would not even be close to enough for Bills fans. Um, you had an interesting take about John Gruden and the Raiders and, and what's going on with this mm-hmm. team because it's, I mean, it's not a bad foot. Like, it's sort of like the, just like the average football team. <laughs> like, it's just a very, like, you just sort of watch the Raiders and like, oh, okay, there, there's a football team. But <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it's, which, you know, Derek Carr, like, he's like, there's a quarterback. Like, he's not terrible and he's also not very good, but He's just a QB. Um, but what is your what is your thought on on where this team is right now? 
I think John Gruden is in this weird no man's land where he's such a big name and the Raiders paid him all this money and he has a 10 year contract. What are we in year four right now? Right. And Mark Davis apparently doesn't have money to spend like that. So he can't just fire John Gruden. So I think the the way you get the most out of him, and I know the Raiders are paying him to be this kind of like face of the franchise type guy, kind of like a soccer manager where he not only coaches the team, but he also like decides the direction of the roster. And right. obviously he brought in Mike Mayock and you, we don't really know who's calling, who has like the final say. But if I had to pick, if I like based on reading the tea leaves, I would think it's John Gruden still. And he's just not good at running a team. And he wasn't when he started, when he took over the Bucks personnel, like he kind of ruined that team and let that roster get old and lose talent. And like, we're seeing this in Las Vegas now, but they've spent a lot of resources on that defense and it is still very, very bad. They spent a lot of first round picks and none of them are very good yet. Uh, Cleland Farrell is still he's like a run defender and they took him with the fourth overall pick. He's not really a pass rusher at this point. Uh, Jonathan Abram is I mean, he makes some flashy plays, but he's like terrible in coverage and makes a lot of mistakes. Uh, Josh Jacobs is probably their best first round pick that they've made. And I think they've made like five of them now. And he's a running back. So I don't know if they're even getting value there. It's just they just haven't done a good job of you know, capitalizing on the resources they've had. And they've had a lot of resources. They've had plenty of cap space, plenty of draft picks, and the roster's still pretty bad. But I will say this, John Gruden is a great play caller, and their offense has been good for the last two years because of him. It just doesn't matter because he gets everything else about this job wrong. Yeah. So you're basically reading it as his influence sort of shaping this team and Mayock, the general manager, not really putting his stamp on things like the the one problem and maybe this is Mayock maybe this is Gruden but I just assumed Mayock is getting his orders from Gruden is they have they like really put a premium on character Mm -hmm. in the draft which I think is it's not a bad strategy but when you're basing when you're making your first round picks on character it doesn't really make sense like make those picks based on talent and then get the character and glue guys on day two and three. Like they drafted Farrell to be this, you know, locker room leader, but he can't play. Right. So what good does that do? And they draft all these guys from Clemson because they come from a winning program, but there's a reason they're available when they're picking them. Like these guys are, they won in college, but that doesn't give you anything in the pros. Right. And we're seeing this play out on the field. Like none of these defensive picks they've made have really worked out. Besides Max Crosby, who I think was like a day two or three pick. Uh, the Indianapolis, speaking of defenses, the Indianapolis Colts have, according to Football Outsiders, DVOA, efficiency metric, have the best defense in the league. And I don't think anyone would have seen that coming. Now, uh, Football Outsiders does have something they're calling Dave, which I like better, uh, that sort of combines the preseason forecast and the games played so far to, to sort of, you know, we have a small sample size right now. So DVOA is, is not as telling as it will be later in the season. And in Dave, they're third. So they're still very high. Uh, I know that you watched uh, the 
Colts today. I didn't think it was what a night. What was this, the final of that game? I I tried to watch eleven. 1911 beating Nick Foles and the Bears. Uh, so I know you watched that game and, and sort of went through that to, to try to figure out whether or not this Colts defense really is that good because that would make the Colts. Yeah, and I know you've been a believer in the Colts for a while, but but if it's if their defense is really playing at that level, then uh, I think they jump up into that tier with the Bills um, that, that are going to try to challenge the Chiefs and Ravens. But uh, what do you see when you see this defense play? It reminds me of the defense they had in 2018, which was a good but not great defense. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where they end up by the end of this year. They're getting a boost from a really bad or really easy schedule early on, like they played the Jaguars and they actually got lit up by uh, Gardner Minshew. <laughs> but then they, they, I think Kirk Cousins had like one of the worst games of his career. And then they obviously play the right. Jets who are just a, a dumpster fire at this point. Right. And then they play Nick Foles and the bears. So I think a lot of their success and they're number one in EPA allowed too per, per play. So it's not just DVOA. But I think a lot of it is driven by the quarterbacks they've been playing. Because when you watch them, you're not really seeing a top defense. Like their pass rush is okay. Justin mm-hmm. Houston has three sacks now, but or I think he might have four. But he's not getting a lot of hurry, so that sack total is probably a little bit fake, a little bit inflated. And he, they don't really have a like. DeForest Buckner has been really good as as expected, but they don't have another edge guy. Mm-hmm. And then their secondary, they just play a lot of like conservative zone defense right and i don't think that's going to work against guys like patrick mahomes or lamar jackson or any of the top quarterbacks so i don't know if this lasts i'm not really high on their defense i think it's going to be fine and enough for them to make the playoffs as long as philip rivers keeps playing like this but they're going to take a step back over the rest of the year and i think in order for them to you know compete with the top tier in the AFC. They're going to need their defense to be elite. I just don't think it's going to happen. One thing they need to do is stop running the ball in early down so much. They're running it a ton and it's not working. They're one of like the least efficient run games in the league right now. So let, let Phillip Rivers sling that thing around. And I think, I think that will uh, give them a boost on offense and make up for whatever they lose on defense over the next couple weeks uh, due to regression. Yeah. What type of defense do the Colts play? I, I, I don't know much about uh, the defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus. That's yeah, a great that's name. Uh, but I don't, I mean, it feels a little bit like the 49ers, but without obviously the full pass rush that, that makes the 49ers actually good. Yeah, you could. that's a decent comparison. They play slightly different coverages, but Overall, it's the same idea where they're playing a lot of zone defenses and ra- zone coverages and rallying to the ball when you throw it underneath and making tackles. Right. But they've kind of missed some tackles this year, so I don't know if that's the best strategy. A lot of their success has been based on turnovers in, in terms of like EPA, and that probably won't last either. So I don't know. I think it's really just the competition because good passing offenses – eat up zone defenses good quarterbacks do so i think that's when we're really going to get see them tested and then next week they're playing the browns who are you know coming off of two three good offensive performances in a row so i think we're going to find out a lot about both of those teams next week i'm not ready to say whether the colts are 
our frauds, our actual contenders. But I think after next week, we'll have a very good idea of what they could be later on in the season. Uh, Nick Foles, <laughs> is he going to hold this job all season? Are we going to see Trubisky again? Uh, I think the Bears have the Bucks next. I think is that the Thursday night game? Is that right? Yeah, that is. Um, uh, so what's what's your feeling on on where the Bears? Because the Bears are three and one. Uh, I don't think anyone's really thinking that's going to last. But uh, what can Foles do with this team? I I don't think he's going to last the season. Mm-hmm. We'll see Mitch. But I think we'll see Mitch again sometime during the first half of the season. Actually, he was Foles was bad, and he was bad the week before. Except, except for like a couple key throws under pressure, but I don't, I don't know. I just don't see how he makes this offense any better than Trubisky does. To be honest, like I know the selling point with him is like veteran leadership or whatever you want to say. <laughs> he knows the system, but I mean, this is Nick Foles. He's like been one of the most volatile players in the in NFL history. Right. I don't think he gives you that. He doesn't give you anything in the run game. And this was the first week where the the Bears run game was really bad. It had been good the first three weeks. So we're already seeing the effects of taking a run threat at quarterback off the field and putting in Nick Foles, who is the opposite of a run threat. I don't really know. I don't know if this offense is any better with Foles compared to Mitch, to be honest. I think Mitch gives them something that Foles can't and the inconsistency as a passer, you're getting it from both guys. So if I'm the Bears, I, I mean, I would be playing Mitch right now, but I know Matt Nagy's coaching for his job and probably trusts Foles a little more. I'm trying to figure out what's going on in the Eagles-Niners game. Uh, my my old college pal Robbie Gould here is, uh, I don't know what's happening. We're, we're podcasting during the game this week. We're, we're, we're doing things a little differently. <laughs> Nick Mullins has uh, been benched, by the way, for CJ yeah. Yeah. Um, and now, like, it's like it, watching this with headphones on and not hearing what anyone's saying. It just looks like they forgot how to play football. Like, right. it's like, we, we don't know what to do next. We're not really sure what what's who has the rule book. Um, let's let's we mentioned that the Bears are playing the Bucks on Thursday. Let's go to the NFC South, but talk about the Saints briefly, because. Drew Brees uh, made a little comeback today. I mean, it was a game that I don't think a whole lot of people paid close attention to uh, because he was playing against the lowly Detroit Lions. But the um, the Saints did win 35-29. It looked like it was going to start disastrously. I think it was 14 nothing after like a few minutes. But uh, Brees climbed back in, and, and by most standards, he was pretty good. He was 19 for 25, 246 yards. Uh, 9.8 yards per pass, which, you know, is up for him big time. His uh, advanced stats looked pretty good, too. I think he was 0.39 EPA per play and uh, somewhere around 10 completion percentage over expected, depending on where you look. Um, so this any and his chart, you know, he was throwing the ball a little bit further downfield. So I, I don't know. Are we reading this as Breeze? taking the steps he needs to take to get back to what he can be? Was it just that he needed some time to get into this season without, uh, you know, without the full preseason experience that he's just sort of waking up to it now? Or are the Lions just that bad? 
It's probably a combination of all three, but I'm gonna go with the Lions are just that bad before because this is like when we talked we talked to uh Seth Galina the other right. week and he mentioned like it wasn't just those two games. I think we talked to him after two games. It wasn't just those two games, it was going back to last year, we kind of saw the same issues. So the sample size of him being bad in recent time is much larger than this one game where he went off against the Lions. And if you're gonna if you're a struggling quarterback, the one team you want to go against is the Lions. Because they have no pass rush whatsoever. They don't really blitz either. They send a lot of three man rushes. So you have plenty of time in the pocket. And they play a lot of man coverage. So it's not like Breeze is having to t- throw the ball into tight windows downfield into like zone with zone defenders having their eyes on him and being able to break on the ball. It's just like find a matchup and exploit it. And you should have some space as long as you beat the primary defender. And I, I haven't watched the game, but from what I saw of it, that's basically what Breeze was doing. He's throwing a lot of like outbreaking routes mm-hmm. away from coverage and away from the middle of the field. I want to see him do this against a defense that's a little more capable of putting pressure on him and making him throw into tighter windows over the middle of the field before I'm ready to say he's back. But it is a good sign because if he they would have if right. they would have laid an egg against the Lions, I would have been ready to write them off. Really bad, yeah. Uh, and and the Saints still do not have Michael Thomas, so right. you know the offense is a little hamstrung. Uh, Alvin Kamara is doing a lot. He carried 19 times, uh, targeted four times, so he's really sort of carrying the offense a little bit right now. Um, he's good enough to do so, but. Will be interesting to see Breeze once you know he has the full, full arsenal, and whether he can take those steps. Like you said, um, yeah, certainly a team we thought would be at the top of the NFC, and now it's sunk down. I think a couple tiers even uh, at this point. So the Lions, what I mean, there's there's no point in continuing the map, Patricia. I, I think we've been calling for this since week one, but uh, I mean, there's just nothing going with this team right now. I mean, if you want to tank for a quarterback, by all means, keep that guy on your sideline. And the Lions <laughs> probably should do that at this point. I'm not sure what Matthew Stafford's contract looks like, but I mean, it's time to blow it up. It's time to get rid of the GM, Bob Quinn. He's been not good at that job. Uh, Patricia's obviously worn out his welcome. He wore out his welcome by like month number three, I think, in his first year. Right, So with the players. Yeah, I don't think we need to talk about the Lions for the rest of the season, to be honest. Yeah. the uh, It looks like the Lions do have a potential out with Stafford uh, after this season. So, um, you know, it's certainly something that we're going to have to block. think about. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit later once we get to a certain game about a team that that does not know how to tank. That is just failing horribly at oh tanking as it should. But first, Tom Brady and the Bucks. Um, Brady today, he was. He's, Tom Brady's forty three years old. Uh, you probably know that. It's been around a while. You've been watching him a while, and he played a twenty two year old quarterback today, and you know he looked okay. And and Justin Herbert, the quarterback he played, looked pretty good too. Um, but the Buccaneers end up winning 38-31 over the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, Brady uh, is was pretty good. Five TDs. He did throw a pick six, which I think is his fourth pick six in his last six games, dating back to his last couple 
games with the Patriots. So a little bit of a reason for concern there. Uh, you know, he has not been perfect. But I know that you are in the midst of researching Brady to answer the question that we have had for months now. Uh, we We ruminated on it all summer. But whether or not... Bruce Arians would change his offense at all to come back to Brady. Brady has generally not been in such a downfield offense or whether he would just say, Hey Tom, this is your offense. Now you run it. Uh, and I, your findings are, are pretty interesting. Uh, you know, and I know that you haven't you maybe gone through this game as closely, but based on some of the other dropbacks that you've looked at from Brady, what are you seeing of this offense right now? This is completely Bruce Arians' offense. Like, there's no... I don't really see any Patriots' influence at all. Like, in terms of formation, route concepts, how, how much play action they use, how when they run the ball, how often they run the ball. This is the same exact offense we saw last year with Jameis Winston. There aren't as many downfield throws, but I don't think that's by design. I think that's just by Brady settling for he like he'll throw it to the open guy if, if a throw's not there downfield he's gonna throw his check downs more more often than Jameis ever did so his his a dot his average depth of target target is a little bit lower but I don't think that's the product of Bruce Arians dialing things back this is the same offense and to my surprise he's running it at a high level like he's not having any problems with making the throws the difficult throws this offense demands its quarterback make. And I'm really optimistic about this team going forward because of that. I think this offense is going to continue to get better. They haven't been healthy in the receiving court really all season so far. There are clear plays where Brady is not on the same page in terms of timing with his receivers. I think that's going to improve as the season goes on. I'm ready to say this is the best team in the NFC South. Yeah, I was going to ask you if they have moved ahead of the Saints at this point. Um, although, the, you know, the Panthers climbing up there, buddy, two and two. Don't do that to me. <laughs> the one thing I would say, like the offensive line is really good. It's been really good. It's I thought it would be better. I really liked their draft pick. They, uh, they got Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, who I thought was the best tackle in the in the draft. And they drafted him. He's starting and he's played really well. So I don't see that was like the big concern going into the season with the offense was would Brady be able to, you know, play behind a bad offensive line? But they haven't been a bad offensive line. They've been pretty good. And he's had time in the pocket. He hasn't looked as quick to get rid of the ball as he has as he was in New England, which became sort of a problem towards the end there. So, yeah, like this is the best you could have expected out of Tom Brady over the first month. And I don't see any reason why it's this offense is going to fall off. I actually think it will get better as the season goes on. I, I want you to know that your your current coaching crush, Kyle Shanahan, is orchestrating a comeback against the Eagles with C.J. Beathard as his quarterback. And <laughs> it is exactly as devastating as you think it is. I mean, he's just... They're just marching down the field as if, as if the Eagles defense is not even there. Um, just pure Shanahan genius happening. <laughs> With no timeouts um, either. Yeah. He's marching. Uh, Vikings-Texans played a football game, and the Vikings won. Uh, and this is actually, I think, a more impressive win by the Vikings. You know, these were two 0-3 teams that we, we sort of touted this game as maybe one of the better 0 you know, better games featuring two zero and three teams 
ever. Because uh, both these teams we thought would be pretty decent. The Vikings we assumed would be, you know, in the hunt for the uh, NFC North title. I think you ended up picking the Vikings to, to win it. Uh, but the Vikings also were affected by the COVID situation because they had played the Titans and uh, could not. I think their facility was closed until Thursday, which that's a lot of time mm-hmm. to to not be able to do your regular routine. NFL football teams are the most, you know, you cannot imagine other than the military, uh, just, you know, living by routine. That's, that's just how they operate. Um, so to not have that and to still go and get this win in Houston shows a lot about where this team is and, and uh, you know, what sort of step I think this, this is. Uh, for a team that, you know, they can still, the Packers look like they have a commanding, you know, are, are really in command of the division. But, uh, you know, the Vikings seem like they could turn things around. Um, Kirk Cousins was okay. You know, he, uh, 16 for 22, 260 yards. Uh, you know, was not as devastatingly awful, like you said, against the Colts. He was, uh, I mean, hardly see an NFL quarterback play a worse game than that. Um, they continue to ride Dalvin Cook really hard. He ran 27 times for 130 yards. And the Texans, uh, you know, same old story, man. Deshaun Watson did everything he could to try to drag this team to a win, and it just was not enough. Um, what, what do you see? I mean, are you feeling like the Vikings can turn around, or uh, is this team just too limited at this point by Cousins and a somewhat depleted wide receiver group. Yeah, I think I still think they have a chance. Now that we have seven teams in the playoffs, I think right. There's like most teams have a chance that are have any <laughs> type of talent and I think the Vikings are definitely a talented team. That's why I picked them to win the NFC North. And they did better on third down, so maybe that defense is getting better. Maybe Mike Zimmer is going to, you know, coach up a, a second half uh second uh half turnaround with this defense but the offense was better i on our last episode i kind of grilled uh gary kubiak and roasted him for not like doing any of the things that we expected him to do there wasn't like a lot of play action or a lot of window dressing for their concepts before the snap but he right. used a lot of motion today and he used a lot of play action and he did the things we all expected him to do and the result was a great output by his offense it wasn't just Cousins. He averaged 0.25 EPA per play, but Dalvin Cook had a big game. Everything was clicking. There, uh, Justin Jefferson, is he's had two big games in a row now. Right. Adam Thielen had a decent game. So I think the offense is going to be fine going forward if Kubiak can keep this up. And Zimmer's eventually going to figure out the defense. He's been a head coach for, what, like eight years now, and they've never really had a below-average defense. So I don't think we should expect that to happen over the – the full course of the season. I don't know if the Vikings are going to make the playoffs, but I definitely think they're going to be a competitive team from here on out. Why do you think it took a a coach like Kubiak, who, you know, is a veteran of all veterans uh, and he's coached so many, and he's coached a lot of guys like Kirk Cousins. He made Joe Flacco look really, really good. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not the first time that he's had to do this. Why would it take him so long to figure that out? I mean, what, it might have just been like game script. Like they played a lot of games where they fell behind really early. And I mean, if he's reading up on analytics, he would know that you don't really need 
a threat of the run to run play action, but maybe he's like an old school coach who thinks that. So now that if they play a normal game, maybe the offense will be much better going forward. And I mean, based off of today's game, I think, I mean, if it worked, so you would expect him to keep doing it, but you never know with these coaches. I, uh, I just pictured Gary Kubiak, like cruising through PFF. <laughs> uh, it was a, it was a good visual. Uh, Seattle Seahawks moved to four and O by beating the Miami Dolphins 31, 23. This game played out exactly as you predicted. I have to, I have to give you props when you get something right. Cause I often point out things that you get wrong. Uh, I'm just, I'm maybe not <laughs> such a, such a great coworker. Um, but, uh, you, you predicted that this game would sort of meander along, uh, that the Seahawks would not look great. But eventually pull it out in the end. And that's exactly how this one went. Um, you know, it just was not it was not a very clean performance. It was not one of those perfect performances by Russell Wilson. He still was very good. Uh, and I think still is probably in the lead for the MVP as we turn the the quarter mark of the season. Um, but it's, you know, you just, you predicted that there would be a little lull in the Seahawks play and, and that's what we got. Um, but any, any observations out of this one on the Seahawks side, I know that on the Dolphins side, it's man, Ryan Fitzpatrick threw two interceptions and he was, he's just Ryan Fitzpatrick. And right. I'm not, not sure why we're doing this anymore. Uh, but uh, what'd you think? What'd you take away from this? Uh, I don't take anything from the Seahawks. They had some injuries. Jamal Adams didn't play. They they went on the road. They went on uh, to the East Coast, played an early start for them, and won a game. And I think the score was – I don't think the game was as close as the score implies. They kind of pulled away in the fourth quarter, and then the Dolphins had a little mini rally at the end there. But, yeah, this is what you expect out of a team going from the West Coast to the East Coast and having injuries. I – I don't think it says anything about the Seahawks, about how good of a team they are. I still think they're one of the best teams in the NFC. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think there's anything to learn. Like, Russell Wilson <laughs> Russell Wilson still had a great game, even though the stats don't really show it. it but he had, a, I think the Seahawks dropped a lot of passes, so that really hurt him. But I would agree with you. He's still the front runner for the MVP for me. But it's the same concern for the, the Seahawks, and that's, is the defense good enough and not... I don't know if it's good enough. Yeah. The Dolphins, uh, I mean, Tua Tagovailoa has got to get his shot soon, right? right? He I has mean, to play. The Dolphins are one and three now. There is some thought that Dolphins could sneak up uh, on the, the AFC East. It's, it's not Two people thought that. <laughs> yeah, but one of them was Peter King, and then one of them was the wonderfully mustachioed New Hampshireite. Uh, I don't even know. Is that what you call people who live in New Hampshire? Henry McKenna, right. our, our, our co-worker uh, up there in the woods. You know, he had a hunch, man. And Okay. Uh, the Dolphins are not making the playoffs. It's time to, you know, end this. Put into uh, and see what I, he's got. Let's see, it's let's not see. even. Yeah. It's not even like just play Tua because he's the rookie. It's play him because you're going to have. He's not Ryan five. Fitzpatrick. <laughs> he's, also that he's probably better than Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Fitzpatrick and not. And. Also, you're probably going to have a top five pick and might have a chance of drafting one of these quarterbacks. So you want to know if you need to draft one of these quarterbacks <laughs> now. And the best way to do that is to play Tua. So the team that got Josh Rosen after Josh Rosen got Kyler Murray might end up 
Kyler Murraying to a tag of Iola. Is that am I following correctly? If I mean, are. you have to find out if you need to do that, though. Like, because uh, they, they, it's not only that they're a bad team, but the Texans are a bad team, and they own the Texans' first pick. That's right. So they're if they want Trevor Lawrence, they could probably get Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, a lot of intrigue there. A lot of intrigue. I like it. Uh, what is our next game? Oh, the the Baltimore Ravens uh, trying to bounce back um, from the resounding loss to the Chiefs, playing the nearby neighbors, the football team from DC, and another game that went pretty much exactly as predicted. Um, Lamar Jackson and Co did not have trouble bouncing back, and won this one pretty easily 31 to 17 um you know i i don't you know <laughs> there's not a whole lot to Nothing. say or learn from this one uh washington the football team remains in the, in the nfc east falls to one and three but you know right there right there with everybody else in the division Dwayne Haskins uh, played pretty well. Yeah, yeah, he that's was a good, good thing. Apparently, yeah. he got told by coaches that he needs to start playing better. He's going to get benched, which just a ridiculous thing. I feel like you just got to play Haskins for the rest of the year, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. But he played well against the Ravens. He had a positive CPOE. That's always a good thing. But yeah, I don't. We don't learn anything from. We didn't learn anything. We knew the Ravens could beat up on bad teams. They beat up on another another bad team. Right. So, yep, this is what we expected. Yeah, I mean, the Ravens really got to Haskins. I mean, he was constantly under pressure. He was sacked three times. Uh, you know, it, it was – I if, – if people are blaming Dwayne Haskins for anything going wrong with the Washington Reds wa- football team, I caught myself. I caught myself. <laughs> uh, then, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what to say about that. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, the other NFC East team, the Giants, uh, lost to the Rams. A- again, another one that it is not very revealing. The Jared Goff was terrible. I think both Jared Goff and uh, Daniel Jones, the two quarterbacks in this game, had negative EPA per drop uh, per play on dropbacks, which is just astounding. So every time they took the ball and looked to throw. They hurt their team's chances of scoring, which is not good. But it ended up being 17-9, the Rams. Uh, Any concern for you about the Rams? This is, I think, still your top NFC team. Uh, But it just seemed like golf was bad golf, which happens. Uh, Right. Is that causing you any pause as you look forward? Uh, no, because we've seen golf play like this in years where the Rams were still pretty good. Like, mm-hmm. I think he'll be better going forward. It, I, I don't think it was a problem of McVay scheming things up for him. I think he was just missing throws. And the Giants aren't the best matchup for the Rams. I know that's like something you can rarely say about the Giants, that they're a bad matchup for a team. But they do stop the run really, really well, especially on early downs. They're one of the best defenses on early downs and one of the ways to stop the Rams is to get Jared Goff playing behind the chains and making him actually play quarterback and they were able to do that today so 
I'm not totally surprised that it happened and the game was kind of close. So I'm not too worried about how this game ended up looking. I am worried about the Giants offense, though. They haven't scored a touchdown since week two, I think. (laughs) That's not good. Why did they hire Jason Garrett out? (laughs) I mean, that was obvious from when it was announced that it was a terrible decision. And it's one of those things where everyone was actually right about it. Like he's not a good offensive coordinator and he's just a horrible matchup for what Daniel Jones does best and what he does worst. It's also such a dumb decision when you hire, when you take the risk of hiring Joe judge who was, you know, a special teams coordinator, but a guy with like an incredible pedigree, right? Like, Oh, he worked for Saban. He worked for Belichick. The reason you hire a guy like that is that he's smart, and he's around other young, smart coaches, and he understands like where the game is. You know, like those. He's just been in the situation to be around other really good coaches. So to force him to take the recent Dallas Cowboys cast off coach as his offensive coordinator, and you know this idea that oh that he has someone who's been a head coach and he can rely on. Like you're just undercutting everything that. You, the, the whole idea of giving that guy the job, uh, you've just you've erased all of it, right? Like you're not you're not getting someone you're not getting. He's you know he's a young coach who's been schooled by great minds, but he's also you you would hope a progressive thinker, like a young coach who wants mm-hmm. to figure things out and and try new to, things. And they're not right. trying new things. Like this is they're, the same old Jer- Jason Garrett offense we've been watching. And I just don't get the sign, uh, the decision to do that. And they like every team across the league that has gone that way. There's been a lot of like hires of veteran coordinators, and they have not worked out. Like right. the Dolphins signed Chan Gailey to run the offense, and their offense has been terrible. Uh, the Washington has Jack Del Rio playing or uh, being the calling the defensive plays, and they've been terrible on defense. I'm forgetting another one. I think there's another one. There's just a bunch of retread coordinators and none of them are working out. And Jason Garrett is like the poster child for that. Mike Nolan is another person you can put on that list. Right. I don't get why you would go with a coordinator who hasn't done that job in years when the game has undergone so much evolution in, in the last decade. It doesn't really make sense to me. I wonder if Joe Judge knows about Brendan Marion. <laughs> There's a zero percent chance. <laughs> Seems unlikely. Uh, let's talk about a, a team that that has a new coaching tandem, and they did hire a young college guy to run their offense, and that is the Carolina Panthers, who came away, moved to two and two, as I mentioned. Uh, Carolina beats Arizona thirty-one twenty-one. Man, Carolina is not you know they're just not willing to tank, man. Yeah, it's not good. This is why you don't sign a quarterback like Teddy Bridgewater. (laughs) He's too good for you to tank. Like he's too he's really good at running this offense. And I Joe Brady, everything I've seen from him, I really like. This is a good offense. It's a well put together offense. I'm not so sure about the defense yet, but and Teddy Bridgewater is really good at executing it. There's obviously limitations with him, and you saw it in this game too, where his arm is just not a top level arm and he's not capable of making those premium throws that the best quarterbacks in the league do. So obviously he's, he puts a ceiling on what the offense can be, 
But there's a lot of good weapons in this offense. And with a smart coach, they're getting the most out of it. The defense, I think, has looked better the last two weeks, but I think it, it just lines up with what they do with Phil Snow being the defensive coordinator and having the experience going up against these college-style offenses like right. they have with the Chargers. And although the Chargers kind of went more pro-style this last week, but right with Herbert, yeah, the Chargers and the uh, Cardinals this week, and I'm really just not feeling this Cardinals offense so far. And I put it on Cliff Kingsbury. Watching the game today, I don't think Kyler was bad, and his his stats like looked decent until you look at his passing yards. He only threw for like 130 yards on like 35 attempts, yeah. And that's all play calling to me. I don't think it's Kyler being too conservative. They're just calling a lot of early down RPOs and screen passes. They just need to let him chuck the ball, like just throw right. it downfield. And I think that's how you get the most out of Kyler Murray, right? Yeah, his rate is rating was 116.7, but that's just because he had he was just given presented mostly easy throws. He was I mean, throwing he it. threw three touchdowns, I think is really what happened. And yeah. two of them were just like pick plays on the goal line where he had wide open guys. Right. Uh yeah. But Kyler Murray has a good arm. <laughs> like right. you know, I mean he was going to go play baseball for a little bit there, but, uh, you know, it just seems that it's, it's like you said, it's been neutered. I mean, is that something you expected from, you know, you've looked at Cliff Kingsbury's offense closely. I mean, what, what is happening with the evolution right now? What is he not trusting Murray to make those throws? Is there something he's seeing? Is there something he wants to establish differently? What is actually going on? This was, the case last year, too, I thought Hopkins would kind of solve that, but they're still not a very talented team offensively. When you think about it, like their offensive line is not great. I thought I thought the Simmons pick was so bad. I thought they needed a draft offense there, and they didn't because they still needed guys after DeAndre Hopkins. He's not like he's one guy, their next receiver. I guess it's Christian Kirk. He's not. I don't think he's very good. I think he's a below average number two guy. Larry Fitzgerald is. I mean, I get that he's has this great reputation. He's a great guy or whatever, and he's a the consummate pro. But he's just not a useful player right now. And as a receiver, like he does the little things that you love. Like he'll block and he'll he knows when to hurry up and get up so they can uh, spike the ball. Like. People went crazy for him doing that two weeks ago. But he's just not a good receiver. We need to stop making this happen. Put someone out there that's young and talented. And I really thought they should have drafted C.D. Lamb with that first pick. And this offense, I think, looks different with him in it. But now you kind of still have the same problem. Like, Hopkins is there, and he's an outlet for Murray, and he's got... He's gotten a lot of targets so far this year, but there's still no downfield threat, and there are no easy downfield throws. And I really think that's where Kingsbury has to scheme things up. He has to do a better job of meshing the run game, which hasn't been successful this year after being wildly su- successful last year. But he hasn't like meshed that with the passing game, right? To build a play action passing game that gives you these easier uh, shot plays, and I think that's what separates him from where he is now and the top offensive minds in the league, like the Shanahan's, the Reeds, and the McVeighs. Yeah, I mean, either way, if you're if you're going to draft defense at number eight, 
it needs to be somebody who can play too. And I'm yeah, he's not playing. So uh, that's really where that mistake. He got in one drive this this game and was just <laughs> lost throughout it. But he got in one drive. Like he's not now. He's not even playing significant snaps. He's playing like five snaps a game. And this is with the Cardinals having injuries in the secondary and having injuries on defense. So I think they're going to continue to say, oh, it's a it's a process with him. He has to learn. But this is a bad sign that he's not playing right now. Right. For sure. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals and Jacksonville Jaguars also played a football game today. <laughs> um, That's my only take on it. it the was Bengals a game. It happened. The Bengals won 33 to 25. Uh, seriously, the Joe Burrow uh continues to sort of move along i think he's you know like a very joe burrow i mean he's just been joe burrow uh he's exactly what we thought he was going to be i feel yeah there are not a lot of big plays in that offense i don't know if we can necessarily put it on him but i'm gonna i'm gonna do it because i said he's got a weak arm before the draft so i'm just gonna keep riding that take until it looks dumb (laughs) it's because he has a baby arm and he can't throw deep but I, I, was, I know that's not actually the case. The offensive line has been bad, so you can't really throw down the field. Although apparently it was better this this week, and they, I think that might have been the product of the Jaguars not really having a defensive line that's very good. But I think he's he's a professional quarterback. He's what we thought he's going to be. Like, the, yeah, I don't think there's any reason to be like head over heels with him. Like, oh, this is the next great quarterback. But it's very clear that his baseline is high. He's got a high floor. Right. They're going to be fine with him going forward. Yeah. He was, he was much better today. From what I saw and not running into sacks and not, I mean, he's just, he's starting to feel a little bit more comfortable in the pocket. I mean, obviously the Jags have, a, a, I mean, a bad defense and, and not much of a pass rush. So he wasn't under as much pressure, but you know, I think that he's, his feet were a little happy and he was, thinking that he could do things that he couldn't uh, in other games. And I think he's settled in a little bit now. Um, He still takes a lot of shots. I mean, he's really getting beat up um, so far in his young career. Um, But he looked a little bit more comfortable. Gardner Minshew, uh, 27 for 40, 351 yards. uh, Just, uh, you know, slinging away as Gardner Minshew does. Um, But, these teams, Jag- Jaguars are one and three. Bengals are one and two. Um, I mean, are the Jags? What's their trajectory? You know, we were talking about the the Browns earlier, and and figuring out and the Dolphins even figuring out what they have. Uh, I mean, the Jags must be in the situa- a situation where they are looking and thinking about a QB, right? Yeah, I. Anyone trying to talk themselves into Gardner Minshew, I don't think they've paid attention to that rest of the NFL. Like you need an elite quarterback to consistently compete in the NFL and contend in the NFL. And Minshew is a great story and he's been better than I expected. And I was kind of high on him before the draft, but he's been a great, great story. But I mean, it's easy to see when you watch him, he's never going to be a great quarterback. Like his ceiling is league average starter. And he's, I don't think he's going to get there by the end of his rookie contract. And that's really when you get, you get the value from a young quarterback. But once you have to sign him to a long term deal, I think he becomes a minus value player. So 
I think in Jacksonville, like the hope is you tank this year or not tank. I don't think they're going to tank, but bottom out this year and draft one of these quarterbacks because I don't think Minshew's the long term answer. I know he's fine, but you don't want to pay him twenty twenty five million dollars a year. Yeah, it just would not make a whole lot of sense. Um, So Monday night games, we now have two, maybe, we think. Uh, We discussed the New England-Kansas City situation earlier, and we broke that game down super in-depth last week on the episode. Um, And, you know, you can – I would encourage you to find that because Stephen broke down why he thinks New England uh, has a a defensive – situation uh, secondary really that is perhaps maybe the right group to stop Mahomes, and then he did publish a story on that friday afternoon um that sort of dives into that so that's a really interesting piece um but then the other game so do find that i mean it's it's really well thought out the the analogy is basically that bill belichick has built a secondary that's like a basketball team you know that there's different players for different matchups and and they can handle the unique set of uh, skills that the Chiefs present. And um, so, I mean, I, I think if that game happens, we're all we're all looking forward to that matchup, obviously. Unfortunately, uh, we broke that game down thinking that Cam Newton would be starting that quarterback. Could, for the right, so, right. Any optimism I have about the Patriots <laughs> winning the game? Right. No, yeah. Just not listen to that. Just disregard it completely. <laughs> it's just a question of whether uh, Belichick can confuse Mahomes for a little bit uh, before uh, Brian Hoyer turns the ball over a bunch of times or whatever is going to happen. Uh, but there is one other game, the Packers and Falcons. Green Bay 3-0, and Atlanta 0-3, um, you know. What what do you what are you thinking going into this one? Uh how many points are the Packers gonna put up on on this terrible, terrible defense? I mean, really it comes down the only way the, the Falcons have a shot is if Julio Jones plays, and I, I don't think we know yet if he's playing. But yeah, I think him and Calvin Ridley are questionable. So if both of those guys don't yeah, play, bo- I think it's both of them are questionable. Out. Yep. But if they both play and they're fine, it, I think I mean, I don't see why Atlanta wouldn't have a shot because their offense is still very good. And I think they're capable of putting up like 30 points and keeping their team in the game. But if they don't play, then I think this is a blowout. And and Dan Quinn's not long for that job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the Packers are averaging 40 points a game. So pretty good. Um, yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly interested in watching Rodgers and and understanding, you know, whether he's really all the way back or, uh, you know, know, if he's just, if it was just matchups early on, I mean, still worth watching, but who, who I have two questions for you that, that arise from this, who is, I mean, is, uh, Russ Wilson, Russell Wilson, your number one MVP pick and, and who are your top three at this point? And then which coach do you think actually gets fired first? Because we are entering that. We're entering the window. The window is open for firing. Yeah, it is. Uh, I will say, yeah, I'm going with with Russ for the MVP award right now. Uh, number two, I'll go go Rodgers. And then number three, I think you have to go Mahomes. Like, that's a very boring top three. <laughs> if I had to go to four, I'll put, I'm putting Dak in there. 
Yeah, no, I think Dak is right there, man. I'm like kind of like looking I mean, into Mahomes the future. Mahomes had the one bad game against the Chargers, uh, which is, you know, explainable. But, like, if you're just looking at sort of numbers and actual on-field performance, I mean, Dak, maybe – I mean, he wouldn't win it because his team is bad, but I mean, he's really been good. I think you could so. put Deshaun Watson in that category. Yeah, but well, that's more – I don't think – Poor Deshaun, Deshaun is just – yeah. He yeah, that's just, more like he has uh, nothing around him and he's carrying right. the team to anything they get. But right. yeah, I'll, I'll go. I, I think Russ is the, he's got to be the pick right now because he's never gotten an MVP vote. That's a, a thing. Right, right, for sure. He's the best narrative. They're letting him, they're letting him cook. Yeah, I think it, he's, he's far and away the favorite right now. But I don't think it's going to last. Like, I think he's going to have one of these streaks where he, he, doesn't play as well as he has been playing mm-hmm. and we're going to see someone kind of leapfrog him. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Mahomes. I really think this offense is going to put up like record yeah. numbers and it, he's not going to give voters a choice. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. So which coach is going to get fired? Oh, uh, I would have said Adam Gase, but it seems like the jets are committed to keeping him long-term. So I'm going to go with Patricia. I think if they lose one more game, they there's, they had to, I don't understand how he's still the coach, so I don't think they'll have a choice. I'm going to go with Quinn. I, I feel like just Dan Quinn is – I think he's just wearing thin in Atlanta. I think it comes down to which team has a viable interim head coaching candidate. Well, Dirk Dirk Cutter, man. <laughs> no, you fire that whole coaching staff. <laughs> I think uh, Daryl Bevel is the coach of the Lions by – by I'll say start of November. Whew. All right. I like it. I like the take. Speaking of takes, Monday morning brings to you, dear reader, the take dump from Stephen Ruiz, uh, our weekly Monday feature where Stephen fires off some rapid. Uh, rapid reaction to what happened on Sundays. Uh, I know that you're going to take a closer look at Arizona's offense. We we got into it a little bit. The defensive woes of the Dallas Cowboys and how much can be pinned on Mike Nolan, the new defensive coordinator. Uh, more on the Dolphins' offense not really clicking and and why it's time to see Tua. Uh, and probably a couple other ideas. I don't want to give them all away, but uh, you know that that feature should be up around mid morning at ftw.usa.com. Stephen will tweet it at the Stephen Ruiz. I'll retweet it at Chris Corman. Um, so that will be fun. And then Stephen also, do you know? Have you thought of any cut ups uh, that you're going to look into? That's another feature we do. I think we're going to we're moving it to Wednesdays. Uh, but it, basically, Stephen takes all you know a bunch of film and and breaks it down for you. You know, isolates five or six different things. Um, you know, Ben Roethlisberger's throws or uh, you know play action passes by Ryan Tannehill and and tries to explain to you why these things matter um, and showing you each one of the reps. Have you thought of anything that you're going to examine this week yet? Yeah, I got my hands on some Trey Lance film. He played Ooh. his first game or his only game this season that he's going to play the North Dakota State quarterback prospect who I think a lot of people have going in the top 10. So right. it's not really NFL tape, but it's it's a big thing for the NFL. Are we going to have a third quarterback join that 
group of prospects with Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. And I'll, I don't know which, like what the, the theme of the cut up will be, but I'll figure it out by then. So look forward <laughs> to some Trey Lance tape. <laughs> awesome. Uh, that's all we got for you tonight. Uh, or this morning, whenever you're listening to this, uh, it was an interesting week in the NFL. Yeah. You know, this, the, the COVID specter hangs heavy. I think at this point, it it feels like I I don't know. We discussed it earlier. I don't know what's going to happen tonight. Whether or not the the Patriots and Chiefs are going to be able to play. Uh, obviously, the Titans and Steelers game is rescheduled for now. But it, man, it feels like a balancing act, and it's been uh, you know we we've lauded the players time and time again because really it's on them to to stay in a situation where they are not getting this because frankly, the, the whole, the whole situation is just, it's a house of cards. You know, the fact that these guys are going into practice facilities. I mean, it's, there's a lot of places where it could get spread and, and the players and coaches and they've done the work to not have it spread, but it, it feels a little, this is the first time, first time this season that it's really felt like not totally sure how this is going to go. Um, but so far the football has been really good. It's been really interesting. Uh, you know, I, I think, I feel like the season's not been as weird as maybe we thought it was going to be. There's been some weird things, but it's playing out in a somewhat predictable manner. Um, but great storylines and, uh, you know, man, I, I hope we get to see Mahomes playing against that, New England secondary. And we can talk to you about that on Friday when our next show drops, because it's certain to be interesting. Steven, any closing thoughts from you tonight? Yeah, it's my plea to the Panthers to please stop. (laughs) You guys are ruining this for me. You have to follow. You have to follow the process. Panthers. Look, I I don't want to be one of those fans that like is rooting against his favorite team every week. So don't make me do this again next year is all I'm saying. Like, I just wanted to have it done in one year. They tank. They get a new co- franchise quarterback, preferably Trevor Lawrence. But I would I wouldn't I would love Justin Fields too. But one of those guys, please. Just give me that. Oh man. Sports. Sorry, man. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for joining us. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports, featuring For the Wind, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman.
just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.